funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, he was called America's Sheriff. Officials and community members mourn the shocking death of Passaic County Sheriff Richard Burdnick. Our county is devastated and shocked. This is something that no one in our area would have expected. Also, public calls for a ceasefire in Gaza among Jersey's congressional delegation are few and far between, despite statewide support. One member of Congress, one member of the House, is one of 435. Um, they need to get real numbers together in order to make a difference. So that's the political reality. Plus, fare hikes are coming for New Jersey transit commuters as officials effort ways to fix a crippling budget deficit. And counting the homeless. Today is the state's annual canvas for those in need of a roof over their head. The sad fact is you know, there's people out there in the woods right now that are almost freezing to death. There's people out there in the summertime that are dying from heat stroke, you know, and it's, it's a sad thing. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Wednesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. We begin with a stunning tragedy out of Passaic County where longtime Sheriff Richard Burdnick fatally shot himself Tuesday afternoon inside the bathroom of a Clifton restaurant. According to county officials, Burdnick had just come from a ceremony in Patterson honoring the restaurant owner with a key to the city. Friends, family and colleagues say they're heartbroken and searching for answers to his death, which is under investigation by the Passaic County Prosecutor's Office. Prior to becoming sheriff in 2011, Burdnick led a distinguished career. The lifelong Clifton resident was a 28-year veteran of the city's police department, a graduate of the FBI National Academy, a husband and father of four. As Melissa Rose Cooper reports, Burdnick's death is sending shockwaves throughout the state. Obviously, our county is devastated and shocked. This is something that no one in our area would have expected. Passaic Mayor Hector Laura still can't believe he won't have the chance again to speak with his longtime friend and colleague, Passaic County Sheriff Richard Burdnick. Burdnick died by suicide yesterday after law enforcement say he shot himself inside the bathroom of Toro's restaurant in his hometown of Clifton. His death now leaving those who knew and loved him with more questions than answers. Apparently took a picture right before going in, it's on social media with the owner of the establishment, one of the owners. And this was very much like the sheriff. If you came up and asked him for a picture, he would take one with you. And the sheriff was an amazingly loving father, a proud grandfather, a person of deep faith and conviction. This is someone that by all accounts and appearances was uh, in love with his position, his family, his life, his faith, 
let his faith drive him to serve others. Today, friends and colleagues are remembering Burdnick's commitment to serving the community. Prior to becoming sheriff, he served in the Clifton Police Force for 28 years. Patterson Mayor Andre Saya calling him an exemplary law enforcement leader and a cherished friend. Attorney General Matt Plackin saying, Burdnick dedicated his life to serving the residents of Passaic County and its municipalities. After retiring from the Clifton Police Department, he continued his service as Passaic County Sheriff. This is an unfathomable loss for New Jersey. And Senator Cory Booker saying he leaves behind a legacy of sacrifice and service. His passing is a terrible loss to the county and states he served for so many years. My thoughts are with his loved ones in this time of grief. And this is an individual that began his career in Passaic, New Jersey, right here in the city as an auxiliary police officer, volunteer. And he also was a volunteer park police officer. Then he went to be a Clifton police officer. He was a volunteer here in 1978. In the 80s and beyond, he was a Clifton police officer for about 28 years, and he graduated from the FBI Academy. After that, he became a Passaic County Sheriff and the coordinator for the Office of Emergency Management. He had a meeting scheduled today with our OEM coordinator and the coordinators from around the county. So uh, every indication shows that this is an individual that was still committed to his position. His, uh, his commitment to serve uh, the community. I feel for his family and his children, his family in uniform as well, his family of friends, all those who knew him, knew him as a, as a real gentleman. And neighbors who live near this restaurant say they still can't believe something like this happened so close to home. This same man, loss of life is not good in any capacity, really. It's not regardless of what you feel or how you feel about that person or what his job was. Burdnick's passing comes days after announcing plans to lay off nearly 30 corrections officers after the county jail shut down and after the U.S. Department of Justice charged three officers with beating an inmate. Authorities have yet to confirm any details of the investigation, but Laura is asking people to hold off judgment and keep Burdnick's family in their thoughts. Burdnick served as Passaic County Sheriff since 2011. His friends and colleagues say he'll be truly missed. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. Senator Bob Menendez is asking a federal judge to disregard one of the most salacious pieces of evidence against him in his corruption trial. Filing a motion this week to suppress evidence of gold bars and stacks of cash found inside his home because he says the search warrants used to gather that evidence violated his Fourth Amendment rights. Senior political correspondent David Cruz has the latest. They said they were searching for apples and they were actually searching for oranges. Former prosecutor and now defense attorney Henry Klingman says that's pretty much what this latest motion by the Menendez defense team says. They want the judge to throw out evidence of gold bars and cash the prosecution says they found in the senator's home. What the government's likely to come back and say is, no, we were searching for apples, but we happened to find oranges. And that's okay. The first is not okay. What the defense is saying, if true, is not okay. You can't use a warrant ostensibly to search for a gun when, in truth, you're looking for child pornography or drugs or gold bars. But if you go in looking for evidence of, of bribe offenses, some you know things of value, and you're expecting to find cash, as the government did find cash, and then you happen to find a stack of gold bars as well, that's fair game for the government. In their filing, the defense team says the government is out to get Menendez, because he's beaten them in court before. 
They say prosecutors were overzealous and withheld exculpatory information about what was actually a senator just doing his job. The senator hinted at the strategy in an interview soon after the indictments last year. While I can't get into every specific of uh, the charges that the government uh, has alleged, uh, because uh, I need to be able to preserve that for my defense, uh, you know, this, this is an example of how, in fact, we did give the government information uh, and how, in fact, they chose not to use it uh, and how I look forward uh, to both the process in motions and a trial, if we get to a trial, uh, that ultimately will show people in New Jersey what the truth really is. Maybe some of that is included in the redacted portions of the motions. There's a lot of black ink in these filings. Klingman says motions like this and the recent defense motion to dismiss the case outright generally don't succeed. But if it did... Well, it's a game changer, no doubt. It either means the end of the government's case or a severe weakening of the government's case. Because, of course, the Senator Menendez's defense is he was simply doing what all senators do, being an advocate, um, gathering information, speaking out on issues of public interest, speaking privately about issues of public interest. Um, without the quo in the quid pro quo, the gold bars being the quo, there's no case. So it's a bit of a Hail Mary pass with lots of upside legally. But politically, this is the stuff that's out there now. This is the stuff that you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. This is what we all know about. And this is the stuff that really has sunk him politically. It's put him into single digit approvals. Um, I, I don't really think that there's any coming back from that politically. Don't tell that to Bob Menendez, who is showing again that he has yet to meet a corner out of which he wasn't ready to fight. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. And be sure to tune into Chatbox tomorrow for a look at how the charges against Menendez are affecting a key race in the state. David talks with Congressman Rob Menendez and Hoboken Mayor Ravi Bala about the heated primary in the 8th District and the battle for the seat once held by the senior senator. That's Thursday at 6 p.m. on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. Well, after taking a tough blow, it looks like the state's plans for an offshore wind industry are swinging back. The Board of Public Utilities today approved two new offshore wind farms that are expected to power nearly two million homes. The projects also satisfy one of the biggest complaints from opponents. They're farther off the coastline and out of view from beachfront homes. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. Commissioner Baines? Yes. And President Goldstone? Yes. By unanimous votes, New Jersey's Board of Public Utilities put Governor Murphy's ambitious but beleaguered clean energy agenda back on track, selecting two out of four bids for new offshore wind farms. Both winners, Attentive Energy and Leading Light Wind, plan to build sites generating more than 3,700 megawatts of electricity combined with turbines located at least 40 miles off the Jersey shoreline. But the awards came with a stern warning. That on behalf of New Jersey, we will hold you accountable. The bold future we are charting today will require even bolder, perhaps fanatical, even tyrannical oversight of your progress, 
and your performance. The BPU estimates these projects will power 1.8 million homes. The ratepayer impacts expected to range from $6.84 a month for residential customers up to more than 500 bucks a month for industrial consumers. Winners promise to help low-income ratepayers. I'll be honest, I'm a bit speechless right now. We're so excited uh, to get to work and embark on this partnership with the state of New Jersey. And we feel very confident in the bid price that we couldn't go any lower, but at the same time, it's a price that we can absolutely deliver this project on. Clean energy and offshore wind in particular is a statewide opportunity. Uh, we're bringing jobs, we're improving the local supply chain, we're really creating an opportunity for pathways for communities and industries that have not had this opportunity. The vote comes less than three months after Danish developer Orsted unexpectedly canceled its wind farm projects off Cape May, citing supply chain problems and rising costs even after lawmakers signed over tax breaks at ratepayer expense. These new pricier bids require both companies to invest in the Paulsboro facility that constructs turbine foundations and to order shipments through the South Jersey wind port. We will enforce those guarantees with relentless oversight and unwavering defense of our ratepayers. There will be no hat in hand requests, no unforeseen expenses, no nickel and diamond. Orsted's implosion gummed up Governor Murphy's goal of 100% clean energy by 2035 with 11,000 megawatts of offshore electricity by 2040. The BPUs moved up the next round of offshore wind project bids. I think the states have really gone through a lot of learnings over the years, so using those lessons learned, Things can be accelerated, things need to be accelerated if we are going to meet all the climate and economic targets that offshore wind can help support. So I don't think that it's too quick a pace. I think it's an urgent and expedient pace. To meet our climate goals, we need to move forward on offshore wind. We know that last year was the warmest year on record and it's only going to get warmer. Offshore wind farms have sparked emotional protests with worries about impacts on fisheries, whale populations, and shore tourism. Opponents sued to block New Jersey's only current offshore wind farm, Atlantic Shores 1, because it's located only 15 miles from the beach. These two new proposals might be more acceptable. They'll discuss it. It just makes more sense to, uh, to site much further offshore and not cause uh, all the pain with, with the shore degradation. Uh, and in doing that, you would also leave a path for the whale to migrate. If either of these projects need to be tweaked, there's plenty of time. Their first wind turbine won't start spinning until at least 2030. In Trenton, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Taking the train could soon cost you more. New Jersey Transit today proposed a 15% system-wide fare hike, and it could go into effect as early as this summer. The proposal also includes increasing fares by 3% every year starting in July 2025. Officials called this an option of last resort as they try to plug a roughly $100 million budget hole. Ridership still hasn't reached pre-pandemic levels, but transit leaders say they want to avoid service cuts. Instead, the agency is using federal funding to make up the gaps, but that money is set to run out soon. Even the fare increases won't be enough to cover future budget gaps. The agency cited about $44 million from internal costs already cut. Strong reactions poured in after the announcement. Senate President Nick Scutari said the plan puts an unfair burden on commuters. 
In a statement, the head of the Regional Planning Association blamed the state for failing to address the agency's long-term financial problems. You can let your voice be heard. Public hearings will be held in 10 counties before the agency takes a vote in April. If approved, this will be the first fare hike in almost a decade. Turning to the widening crisis in the Middle East, fighting has intensified in southern Gaza around the crowded city of Han Yunus. The United Nations says thousands of Palestinian civilians taking shelter at a hospital were trapped and struggling to flee, even as Israel ordered evacuations. Aid workers estimate some 500,000 people are packed into the area that's now under heavy attack and reported mass casualties after one of its shelters was struck in the city. The Gaza Health Ministry says at least 25,000 Palestinians have been killed and more than 63,000 more have been injured since the war started. Israel estimates 1,200 people were killed in the October 7th surprise attack by Hamas. According to reports in the New York Times and Washington Post today, no proposed deal for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas has reached the negotiating table. Even as international pressure mounts against Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his recent comments opposing a two-state solution. Only about half of New Jersey's congressional delegation reacted to those remarks. Our Washington, D.C. correspondent Ben Hulak took a closer look at where the members stand on the issue, and he joins me now. Ben, it's good to see you. Uh, so I'm interested to know what our congressional delegation had to say when you took a poll of their stance on both a ceasefire and a two-state peace solution. The gist was that the consensus remains, the consensus since uh, really for decades, stemming back to the Oslo Accords in the early 1990s, was that both Palestinians and Israelis have a right to exist, and that the way to achieve peace is through some sort of two-state solution. And that's what members came back to me saying. There were some details within those responses. Congressman Gottheimer and Norcross, for example, said, we can pursue a two-state solution once Hamas is defeated. And, and I think Gottheimer added, the Hamas-held captives need to be released before peace talks begin. But those were the broad strokes. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, the hostages, of course, have been a priority for him, as they have been uh, for many folks, including our members in the delegation. Was it a bipartisan sentiment? What did you hear from our three Republican federal lawmakers? I did not hear anything from uh, any of the three of them. And actually, interestingly, I did not put this in the story, but I'll follow up on it, I'm sure. They signed on to a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken yesterday condemning the case, the uh, international criminal case against Israel for perpetrating what prosecutors have called genocide. This is the case that South Africa has brought to uh, international officials saying that uh, what Israel's military and Israeli officials have done in Gaza since the war began in October is tantamount to genocide. Why is it, I mean, I know in my conversations with many of these Congress members, and I imagine that you have found the same, uh, that there is a lot of hesitation around responses to this topic in general. Politically speaking, why is that? Politically speaking, they can't do a lot on their own. This is the reality of Congress. It moves as a block, and Congress can do a heck of a lot when it wants to, but you also have to have the votes. And individual members, particularly in the House, 
don't have a whole lot of clout. That's the political reality. Uh, Democrats also certainly don't want to get ahead of the Biden administration, and they, they want to show that there's no daylight between them and the Biden administration, for the most part. There have been some Democrats who have been critical, often mildly critical, of the administration and its support of Israel during the war. But in general, they're in lockstep, and a lot of Republicans are too. The, the next thing that I would keep my eyes on, and I am, and I am doing that, is a potential snag in some funding, federal funding, that would go to Gaza. Senate Democrats are pushing for more aid to flow into Gaza, and that would be part of a broader package of relief money for Israel, Ukraine, Gaza, and potentially a deal on the, on the U.S.-Mexico border. And certainly, as you mentioned, uh, the negotiations over that um, have been tangled at best. Uh, ben Hulak Forrest reporting from Washington, D.C. Ben, thank you so much. My pleasure. This time of year, when the temperatures drop, social service agencies head out to the streets to get a clearer picture and count of those experiencing homelessness in New Jersey, completing an annual survey for residents without shelter. That number, of course, increased during last year's count, and advocates say there's a lot of work ahead to get the unhoused connected with the help they need. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas has the story. And I just let them know that what resources are back here. And then through that conversation, I say, and if you're experiencing homelessness, we are doing a, a survey today. We'd like to get you counted in that survey. It's a survey that happens once a year called the Point in Time Survey that happens throughout the state and nation, trying to determine how many people are homeless or housing insecure. And it just asks everything from where they've been staying, how, you know, how many times have they been homeless in the past year, what other needs they might have, whether it's mental health, substance use, anything. Um, so the surveys, you know, kind of ask all those questions. And then all of that information is collected by the, the state and that's where we get our point in time count numbers. Here in Ocean County, they capture those numbers in a variety of ways. Some are counted here at the Beat Center, the organization that includes the John Bon Jovi Soul Kitchen, the statewide food pantry Fulfill, and the People's Pantry. Many services are offered here, so when people come in today, Joanne Gwynn will ask if they're struggling with homelessness and ask them to complete the survey. Because that survey, it's completely confidential, it's anonymous, but we need that information in order to get the resources to the area. Those funds will come from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, as well as from the state and county. And it's needed now more than ever because the rate of homelessness rose in Ocean County by 4% in 2023 to more than 400 people. And statewide, rates increased 17% for a total of more than 10,000 homeless. Rental prices have gone through the roof since COVID has kind of wound down which has kind of led people who used to have housing to no longer be able to afford it. Um, as an example, say three years ago, an average one bedroom was $1,100 a month. Now we're seeing them for $1,500 or $1,600 a month. And that increase, fixed income hasn't kept up. So cost of living allowances don't help that much if they don't keep up with the cost of living. Soldier On, an organization that works with homeless veterans during the year, dedicates all their staff to the count, sending them out throughout nine counties to the places where the homeless are likely to gather. We know there's encamp encampments in the woods in both places in Ocean and Monmouth County. So groups go out to speak with the people staying in those encampments, to offer them resources and assistance if they want it. 
um, but also just to let them know there are people out there who want to help if you're interested in that in getting that help. We can help identify if they're if they're homeless and then I can also try and get them connected to the Code Blue sites. But identifying the homeless is the hardest part. Kevin McKenna works at Just Believe, a Code Blue shelter in Toms River. That designation means they can house the homeless when temperatures fall to 35 degrees. All Code Blue shelters in the county open the night before the count to capture as many people as possible. But it's only a portion of the homeless. The sad fact is people out there in the woods right now that are almost freezing to death. There's people out there in the summertime that are dying from heat stroke. It's a sad thing. They're asking for more support. We need a full-time shelter. So at least if we could get a shelter here, especially in Ocean County, we could get a shelter which would have wraparound services. We could begin working with them and get them into permanent housing. The count will continue through the rest of the week at a number of different county outreach locations where the homeless tend to gather. It'll take a couple months to sort through all the data so that the federal, state, and county dollars can be allocated to help this growing population of housing insecure. In Tom's River, I'm Joanne. Anna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, a strike averted at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Union faculty and staff reached tentative contract agreements finalized by the union's bargaining team over the weekend. Members voted overwhelmingly back in December to go on strike if negotiations stalled with the university. The new deal includes pay equity with the salaries recently won by Rutgers University faculty and researchers. That was a top priority in these negotiations. Minimum pay for adjunct faculty at NJIT will increase by 32 percent in the first year of the contract, then by more than 44 percent over four years. The contracts cover adjunct faculty, postdoctoral research employees, and graduate workers through the end of June 2026. The union also won more job protections and health coverage for grad workers. Members will vote through January 30th and announce the results that day. On Wall Street, upbeat tech earnings helped stocks climb today. Here's how the markets closed. And that does it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow night. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation.